Hey guys, it's Jackie, founder of All Mama Care and Mama to a Super Kid. When my son was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia at 21 months old, not only did I feel my world was ending, but I was alone and scared. I made it my job to get my hands on every resource possible to become educated about his diagnosis. And I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I was determined to become empowered and do everything possible to help my baby and my family thrive. Along the way, I've had the pleasure of connecting with some wonderful organizations and meeting some of the most caring and authentic people. This podcast is dedicated to supporting parents and families while their child is going through cancer treatment and beyond. I share with you all the resources that have played a major factor during this time in my family's life, and I'm so glad you're here with me. And now, let's get this episode started. At the time of this recording, the coronavirus had not yet spread to the UK. There is a quote among the cancer community that I wholeheartedly believe is a fact. One day, you will tell your story of how you overcome what you're going through, and it will become part of someone else's survival guide. My next guest is Michelle Johnson, mother to Alex, from a town near Liverpool, England. Her son was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia about a month and a half after my son. We found each other early on during our son's treatment, and it's been an absolute honor getting to know her and her beautiful family over the past year. In this episode, she shares with us the days leading up to his diagnosis, how he remained in school throughout treatment, and how the amazing support from family, friends, and the school community has helped them navigate the first year of treatment. We talk about some helpful self-care tips that have worked well for her, as well as how she's been able to grow closer to her husband and children throughout this challenging time. It was her original idea to use this platform to share her story in hopes that it will encourage other families to do the same, as well as grow our all Care community and raise awareness of the condition. And now, without further ado, I'd like to welcome Michelle Johnson to the podcast. Thanks again for tuning in to the All Mama Care podcast. I am really excited to have my friend Michelle from the UK with us tonight on the podcast. Hey, Michelle, how's it going? Hi, Jackie. Good, thank you. Are you? Good. We've known each other for a year now. We, yep. Michelle reached out to me, I think it was in the private global Facebook page and I had posted about my podcast and Michelle gave me some feedback on how to create a better community with all mama care and she suggested getting other moms across the world to share their story and um, Michelle I'm just so happy that you're my first mom. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to actually speak to you properly without just using voice notes and just yeah. like random random Instagram sentences every so often I know. Um, so yeah it's good but thank you for having me on anyway yes of course so I'm really excited to have you on because obviously we've known each other for a year and you're in the UK so we've never met but I do feel like you're my BFF I feel like we've been through a lot together and our boys and we'll we'll get a chance to talk about you know um Michelle's uh, son's story but our boys are um, Ollie's three and Alex's is he eight he, he was seven in December seven. yeah but we're yeah. both sort of at the same a very similar point in treatments aren't we yeah um, so you've sort of dealt with things before I have so it's been very much okay what was cycle one like like tell mm -hmm. me tell me everything about it and yes. then 
it's it kind of helped me a little bit because I knew not what to expect because every child's different mm. but just a little bit of what the new normal would be like because we've gone through a new normal on diagnosis but yeah. then to then go into maintenance yeah. it just it throws it all out the water and it you, you just have to start again and it feels very strange very bizarre yeah and that's where I found strength too just talking with other moms that had been through the road before me and checking in with them and like you said mm -hmm. every child is completely different but as a mom just kind of like preparing you know case a could happen case b could happen and just kind of having that in the back of your mind and knowing like I'm going to be able to handle this yeah, whichever it's way just, it goes. as much information as possible that you can have beforehand yep you just you get a feel for what it's going to be like mm-hmm definitely yeah, it makes it better yeah and that's why we drive together right because we're both kind of on the same page where we like to have a lot of information and be able to yeah. sort through it in our own time oh, um, yeah. And that's I'm a, I'm a control freak. Like I'm very <laughs> organized. Everything needs to be as it is. And then when Alex was diagnosed, it was just like, okay, I've got no control over it whatsoever. This is all up to somebody else. This is all up to Alex. What's going to happen? So yeah, in, information is 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 paramount. I think really is definitely. Let's start off first off by can you just tell us a little bit about your family? Yeah, yeah, of course. So there's um, there's myself. Um, there's my husband Mike and we've got two lovely little boys we've got Max who has just turned three um, and he's he's the second child and he's definitely he fits within the second child mold like you know when he's in the room because he's just like crazy you just <laughs> <laughs> you just know it's it, we call it over here like second child syndrome where they've just got no fear they don't care you know beating up the elder child and things it's just it's crazy. And then we've got Alex. Um, so Alex was seven in December, just before Christmas. Um, and he was diagnosed in, well, the 18th of April last year. So he was six and six and four months. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, we've, we've got quite a lot of support on either side of our families as well, which is, is great. You know, from day one, it's always been like that. We're, we are very lucky in that respect. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, when you think about other families who are on their own, they're trying to deal with, you know, being on your own anyway is difficult, but then then having a child that's got cancer, I just, I, I can't imagine how people do it. So anyone out there who is dealing with it, you know, like super mums, I, re I really, I really take my heart off to you. Yeah. And just for clarification, what is Alex's diagnosis? So listen. he has acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Okay, so um, same as Ollie, B cell. Yeah, yes, yeah, B cell. He's sort of within the standard risk um, mm -hmm. regimen. Yeah, call it over here. And so, over in the UK, um, is your protocol different than the US one, or it seems to be about the same? I think it's around about the same. When when he was diagnosed, they said that a trial had just finished, so we'd missed sort of like a trial. Um, so it is the standard protocol. But when speaking to you about the chemotherapy and things that Ollie was on when, when he started and things, it seems very, very similar. Yeah. Um, so I, I think we are both on the same protocol. Okay. Yeah. And now he, is he on it for th three years? Because Ollie is. Yeah. So it was three years from, I'm not sure, I can't remember definitely, but I think it's three years from the beginning of interim maintenance. Yep. That's what my husband That sounds right. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah. So it's July 2022. Alex will finish. Okay. All right. Yep. So we're, uh, we'll be April 2022. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I noticed we, we were in clinic this morning. So he'd started cycle two of his maintenance this morning. Um, he was in for vincristin and then we were going to be picking up his steroids and things like that. And I was just watching him in the clinic and he was so um, comfortable with other adults. And I wonder under normal circumstances, would a child be so comfortable speaking to an adult in that way? And it, it was just, it was nice to watch because I just thought his confidence has come on so much. Um, and he's quite independent now as well. Whereas before he was very reliant on us. And he's just yeah. like, no, I can do it. I can do it. I know it's bittersweet. It makes the yeah. kids grow up too fast. And I experienced that yesterday with Ollie when we went to the hospital and he got a chest x-ray. So I just want to make sure he doesn't have pneumonia. And mm. he was strutting his stuff down the hallway <laughs> with his teddy bear mask on. I was like, who are you? <laughs> Saying hi to everybody. <laughs> oh, it is a shame though, because they are still children and it's... <sighs> I know. Can you tell us, did you see any warning signs before Alex was diagnosed? Did you, how did you know, like, oh, you know, Mike, we need to bring him to the doctor? Okay. So, um, initially we, 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 we were on holiday. I'll just tell the story. It's probably easier, Jackie. So yep. we, we were on holiday. We were in, um, a place called Anglesey, which is sort of North Wales. So still part of the United Kingdom. Um, lots of beaches, very pretty. It was just a nice little breakaway. So we went away. Um, he'd had a cold for a few weeks, but what what child doesn't, you know, at the age of seven, springtime, those sort of things. Um, and the day before we left to go home, we noticed that he had a few little purple spots sort of on his face. Um, and he's quite freckly, as am I. So I initially just thought it's it's freckles, you know. I haven't seen them before. It's nothing to be worried about. And I even I even sent a photograph of them to my mum, and I said, you know, I've noticed these. And she said, oh, don't worry about it. It's the change in the weather or something. It's fine. Um, because he was well in himself, so there were no trigger warnings. There was nothing like that. Um, and then the day after we were going home, um, and he was very tired, but he'd been sleeping with his brother. We've been sort of in like a like a mobile home kind of environment, and he'd been sleeping with his brother. So I thought, well, anybody who sleeps with Max doesn't get a decent night's sleep because he's like an octopus; he's crazy. Um, so put it down to that. And then that the following morning, he was playing on the PlayStation downstairs, and I was just about to go to work, and he had a group of the same spots, probably below his shoulder blade on his back, and I thought, mm, it's 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 a bit worrying that. So we both agreed, myself and Mike, that we'd keep an eye on it yep. and we'd just wait and see. But it was Easter weekend, so I was a little bit wary that if we needed to take him in to see the doctor, it would be a nightmare because you just wouldn't be able to get an appointment. You know, the weather was supposed to be good. I had a wedding because I'm a florist, so it was just a little bit inconvenient, if that makes any sense. I drove to work and I felt, it was, it was in like the pit of my stomach, I felt this really strange feeling and I just thought I don't like it something's not quite right so rang the doctors and said do you have a cancellation appointment for today um I'd like to bring my son in so they said yeah okay we've got one for 11 o'clock still remember the time mm -hmm. um so I rang Mike and said right okay you're gonna have to get both boys dressed <laughs> 
yeah. and take them to the doctors and you're going to have to walk because I've got the car. So obviously okay. wasn't <laughs> best pleased about that. And I went to work and started putting all my flowers in water and things, getting them all ready. And I haven't told many people this, um, but it was really, really strange. And all of a sudden I just had this feeling and Alex's favorite flowers are like, you know, those rainbow dyed flowers. Yep. They're not my thing. Not my thing at all. Every time he comes to the flower market with me, he's like, oh, can I have those? I'm like, no, they're ugly. You're not having them, no chance. And just that split second, I thought, I'm going to have to do rainbow flowers for his funeral. Oh, God. And it was so, like, just straight away, it just, it just came to me. And I finished putting the flowers in water, and the phone rang, and it was Mike. And he said, um, we're at the doctor's. It's a... A locum GP, do you know what sort of that means, the locum GP? So it's not the GP for that specific doctor. They just called in like an oh. agency GP. Yeah. Yep. So okay. it, it wasn't even our GP. Okay. And she'd said, um, she'd said, everything looks okay. It's probably a viral infection, but go to this hospital and go and get a blood test checked. So I said, well, I've finished up here. I'll come home, pick him up. And I'll take him to the hospital because I've got the car. So that was fine. We got to the hospital and they said, um, we'll do a quick blood test. It'll be about an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. And we'll, we'll, we'll be in touch. Mm -hmm. So he had a cannula put in. They took the blood. Um, I mean, sorry, they didn't put a cannula in. They just took the blood first. And then we said, well, we're going to go downstairs and get a, a, a cup of tea and something to eat and then come back up. So they said, yeah, yeah, no, no problem. That's fine. And it was sort of like the hour and a half had passed. And then it was like three hours, three and a half hours. And honestly, Jackie, at that point, I just thought, they're busy. I, I really don't want to bother them. They're busy. Yeah. Because, mm. I mean, I've, I've got no, no shame in admitting it. I, do, I didn't know what leukemia was at that point. Yeah. I haven't known anybody who's had it. So it was just like a completely nowhere in my, in my mind at all. Right, right. Um, and then it sort of came to about five hours. And Alex was getting quite tired, which now <laughs> makes sense because he was experiencing these fatigue things, but I didn't know. So I went to the reception and asked them for a blanket. And they brought the blanket in and Alex sort of settled down and he was, he was really snug. So this new doctor came in and it was starting to get dark. And at that point I thought, something's not right here. We should have been either given the results or told what the plan is. Mm -hmm. um, and she said, just, just clear as day, I'll, I'll, I'll never forget it. She, um, I thought she was making conversation at first. And she said, um, is your husband nearby? So I was like, oh, yeah, 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 he's, he's not too far. He's at home with my youngest. Um, and she said, okay, can you tell him to come in? It's not good news. And left the room. So at that point, the adrenaline kicked in, and I was like, oh, God, something's, something's not right at right. all. And obviously, Alex has just sat there, and I'm trying to kind of be, you know, upbeat, yeah. and everything's normal, everything's fine. Um, my battery was low on my phone. I didn't have my charger. So I'm then trying to organize being able to make a phone call from the room, yep. um, which was this massive hospital room, like a penthouse like room, which I now know it was an isolation room. Like they wanted to keep us separate, but again, it didn't, I, I just didn't think about it. Right. 
So I rang Mike and said, um, you need to come in. She hasn't told me anything else. Um, can you get your mum and dad to watch Max and then get your dad to drop you off at the hospital um, and bring a phone charger? <laughs> mm-hmm. So he said, okay, that's fine. Um, and about an hour later, he, I'll, ju- I'll just backtrack slightly. While, while I was waiting for him to come, obviously I was pacing the room because I was just like, I need to just get, get my thoughts together. And I'll never forget seeing the doctor sat at the reception desk filling in paperwork and stuff. And I now know that she was obviously organizing everything for us to go to the hospital, um, the children's hospital. So and about an hour later, Mike turned up. Um, he said a quick hello to Alex. And then the doctor took us into a side room. And she, she sat us down and she said, um, Alex has got leukemia. It's treatable. Um, the children's hospital know that you're on, on your way. There's a bed for you. Michelle, you go in a taxi with Alex and a nurse. And Mike, you follow in the car. And it was just... Surreal. I mean, you know as well as, well as anybody, when you're told something like that, you don't, you don't really take it in. And then it just, it just hits you. And then you're like, okay, everything just doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Everything does not matter at all. All that matters is that little boy who's in and out of the room. Let's just, you know, let's just take a shot and just see, just see what happens. Because you hear that somebody's got cancer, you immediately think we're going to lose him. Mm-hmm. And it's, you, you really do go into like fight or flight. It's just, oh, yeah. okay, let, let's go. So we've got into the, the taxi um the cab and got to the hospital and they hooked him up with a cannula what is it can- what's a cannula leaving like a, a I- cannula it's yeah yeah IV yeah drip. IV drip. obviously yeah. alex has got a port a porter cast yeah. so they access it through there but for the time being it was a cannula right. kind of on his wrist um so they gave him plenty of fluids because he was quite dehydrated. And then we had like a little bit of a meeting with the consultant on call. And he said, he's, he's very poorly. We're going to give him the fluids, see how he goes. And then we'll start chemotherapy tomorrow. And we were like, oh, okay. All right. Well, <laughs> do what yeah. you've got to do. But early that morning, um, Alex had like a little bit of an episode. I don't quite know what caused it. But he kind of, um, it was like his body was rejecting everything that was being given to him. And it wasn't a fit. It was more of a, I don't know, but it was just so strange because I was just sat in this chair with this blanket wrapped around me and I'm just looking at him. And all these nurses are just trying to sort him out. And you just, I think that was the first time that I felt truly helpless. Mm -hmm. It was just like, okay, I'm his mum. Yeah. But I'm not responsible for him because all of you are responsible for him. I'm just watching you. Yeah. It was just, it was very, very strange and it was very clear. And at that moment, I just thought he's, he's really poorly. Um, and he started chemotherapy the day after. I think we were in for about seven days, maybe six days. How, how long was Ollie in for? So we were in for 14 days. Um, yeah. We got test results they told us they were going to come in on tuesday but it was a holiday weekend and the results actually came in earlier on sunday and so i told them like those aren't right like you need to do them again because they're too quick you need to rerun everything again um but once he was diagnosed i think it was about two days 
within two days he had the port put in and then yeah. he got his first chemo. Yeah, it was very, very fast. And we felt where you just feel completely helpless. It's like, you're just watching your baby. And like you said, Michelle, like everybody is just like storming on this little boy. Mm-hmm. And for me, I, I felt like I left my body and just, yeah, that, that's what it is. Yeah, I just, exactly. Yeah. It was that crazy adrenaline fight or flight <clears throat> sobbing, like uncontrollably. I didn't feel like I was attached to my body. It was just such a numbing experience. It was it was it was so so hard and it's it's just crazy to think first off that thank God we have the medicine that we do that they can diagnose it through a blood test when oh, yeah. back in the day they had no idea, you know. Mm-hmm. So as as really you know horrible as it is i i try to look and and i don't know if you share this too but thank goodness they could tell with a blood test they knew exactly what was wrong with him they knew exactly how to treat him you have to i think you know we've been dealt a really really kind of shitty situation we really have and you've just got to look at it and think the the good things about it like with alex's diagnosis he went to the doctors at 11 o'clock that morning and by 11 o'clock at night, we were at the children's hospital and he, and he, had, he had a diagnosis. There's, yeah. there's so many other families that I speak to who they go to their GP again and again and again over a certain amount of months and they still didn't get that diagnosis. And for me personally, like to, to, be, to imagine being a parent who is being told that there's nothing wrong with their child when you know not not even just mums, dads as well, when you know that something's not right and you don't get that further analysis and things, it must be so frustrating, so frustrating. Um, so I'm just grateful that we got that diagnosis so quickly. When you mentioned before about symptoms, I remember the day after he was diagnosed, we were given a list of the symptoms for acute lymphoblastic leukemia. And it was like a tick box exercise. It really, really was, but I wouldn't have put any of them together separately, like night sweats. He had night sweats for about four or five months beforehand. I just thought he's a sweaty kid. Okay. You don't think anything of it. Weight loss, he'd lost, now I look back at photographs, he'd lost a hell of a lot of weight, but he'd also gone taller. So you think it's a growth spurt. Right. He had a cold, what kid doesn't? But when you actually seen the symptoms all listed together, it was like, yeah, that's, that's what he's got. That's what he's got. And you just think sometimes if I would have left it longer, you know, if we didn't go to the GP, what, you know, what, what could have happened? Because he was really poorly. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you guys, just like us, caught it right, you know, right away. You were right on top. Right at the right moment. Yeah, because yeah. Ollie was lethargic for two weeks. Two weeks, he, like, stopped mm-hmm. playing, then he stopped eating. And then we were like, something uh, wrong. Like, he wasn't right. eating or anything. Like, there, he, like, tripped a little bit, and we thought he sprained his ankle. And then we got an x-ray, and he was fine. But then he was jaundiced, and I... I was just like, right in my yeah. head, like, there's something wrong. Like, this is not right. And that's how we found out. So it was like a two-week lead-up time. But like you say, there are other parents that continuously go back to their 
general, you know, pediatricians say like, there's definitely something wrong. Can you figure it out? But until you have that blood test, mm -hmm. that's really the determining factor. Thanks so much for sharing that story. I know that that's okay. That's it must be really hard to relive it, but at the same time, like you said, you know, just having that whole checklist of all those different symptoms mm -hmm. is something that I don't think we talk about as much in the whole leukemia world now that we're in it. We're in active treatment, but we don't really talk so much about here are the warning signs of it. Yeah. I see a lot of marketing geared towards like, you know, fundraising and helping these kids through treatment. But part of it is really just being aware of some of the warning signs. Mm -hmm. That's something that I do want to do as well. I want to raise awareness for it. Not not to frighten parents, but just for a parent to think, okay, well, there's like two or three symptoms there. What are the chances? Things like that. Like I said, I didn't know anything about it. If I would have had that checklist a week before, yeah. then I might have put two and two together and thought, okay, let's take them to the doctors earlier. But you, you, you can't think like that. You just, you're in this situation. You've just got to deal with it as you can. And it's hard. It's really, really hard. It's horrible. We're, we're coming up to almost a year for diagnosis. Um, and we're, we're going to go away. We've decided we're going to go away, but we're going to go to the same place that we were at last, last Easter, you know, when he was diagnosed. So I think it pro probably will trigger a few things for me. But then they'd be triggered if we were at home. If we were sat at home on that diagnosis day, we'd be thinking, oh, this time last year, this time last year. I don't want to do that. I'd rather be somewhere where the kids can be having fun. You know, we're distracted. Distraction counts for a lot. It really, really does. You're rewriting the story. When you go, this is how I think of it, when you go to on that vacation, you're rewriting that narrative. Yeah, it, exactly. And it's once you've done something for the first time, after diagnosis first time's always harder you know, the first time he went to school I was a bag of nerves since then everything's been fine the first time we went on holiday it was hard but then since then it's been fine you've got to get past that first time mm -hmm. and then it's it's you know it's, there's still moments and it's tough but you know we're here we can't just be sat around waiting for him to finish his treatment right and yeah. also Max, you know, my youngest child, I don't want him sort of, I mean, he, he really is along for the ride anyway, because he's only three, he's not going to remember much of it anyway. But, but I still want him to have a nice childhood, the same as Alex did when he was younger. So it's, it's hard. <laughs> it really is to, to know what the right thing to do is, but I'm confident that, that we're doing okay. Yeah. And it, I just admire you so much. Everything that you're doing, I, I'm so jealous that you guys get to go on all, all these cool trips. <laughs> Because for me, you know, it's it's tough because I'm not working. So yeah. we are kind of limited in terms of things that we can do. But it sounds like you're doing an amazing job with making sure that Alex and Max are remembering all the good memories. Yeah. I mean, each it, before he was diagnosed, we used to go abroad a lot. Like we were one of those families that we don't do anything else other than work, go to school and go on holiday. That, that that's the way that we spend our free time so that was very difficult um when he was diagnosed because we thought we're not going to be able to do that for a while i know that some families do but i just don't feel comfortable doing i wouldn't be able to relax and i'd be worried the whole time so if we can go on holiday you know an hour away from his hospital mm -hmm. that's fine i'm more than happy to do that obviously we have to we have to get a letter to say when his last chemo was you know 
where's your nearest hospital that you can call if something happens and it's it's just nice it's just you know being sat indoors the whole time the same four walls to get out and especially into the outdoors like last week we were in a place called the lake district in the uk and it's it's beautiful it's just being outdoors is such a tonic for me and the boys it's just nice to see them running around and the kids and you forget you do forget for like five minutes you forget and everything's normal and then it hits you again and you're like oh yeah oh again (laughs) yeah I know it's it's tough but at the same time how lucky are you that you get to be out side of the hospital because I just keep thinking about yeah. all those families that are stuck in the hospital and yeah it, I, I don't know about you but like I just feel I've always felt very lucky to have Ollie as my son but I feel like even more so I'm lucky to be able to be home with him and have yeah. all these experiences with him because in the true sense of the word we all know that life is very short and it can mm-hmm. change in a heart. It's just wonderful to hear that you guys are able to continue with something that was pre-diagnosis and traveling and yeah. doing family trips because that's really important to your like identity as a family. So it's mm-hmm. just so wonderful that the, the boys are able to enjoy that and you guys can still do that. And like you said, like make an accommodation. Okay, we'll only be an hour away. We'll know exactly where the hospital is. We'll have all the medicines. We'll do what we need to do and kind of like prepping ahead of time to lower the anxiety and just yeah. say like, no, we're still going to do this. We're still going to go and we're just going to be prepared. Yeah. Cause there's been times and I've thought I, I, I don't want to go. I don't feel comfortable going as long as we're close to the hospital. It's fine. But going back to what you said, Jackie, about feeling, um, feeling grateful that we are at home, you know, those, those first few time, few days when he was diagnosed and also a few admissions that we've had with things like colds and it brings you back into day one and it gives you that bit of perspective and you think, do you know what? We've been dealt a really, really rubbish scenario, but in the grand scheme of things, it could, it could be a lot worse. It's, it's hard. It's, yeah. I don't know. It's hard for all parents, I think, especially the parents that I've met, you know, met along the way. It's, it's very similar. Do you feel like your team was really helpful in terms of like setting your mindset around this is stage one. When we get to stage two, we'll talk about that. Did, or did you yeah. feel supported yeah. by your team? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, Alex has been treated in Alder Hay Children's Hospital um, in Liverpool in England. And it's the fantastic. I mean, each time we said where Alex was being treated, they were like, oh, you're fine. Awesome. You, you really are. You're fine. Um his team are great. You know, each time he goes into clinic, it's, oh, hi, Alex. Hi, Alex. And he, he loves it. He walks in and he's like, hi. Yeah, <laughs> like a rockstar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like he'll, he'll say to me, I wonder what girls are going today. He's like, I don't oh, know. We'll have to wait and see. Oh, um, he, he just, he, he loves it. And they were like that from day one as well. Um, you know, they're angels because you just think, what, what do they see day to day? How do they then go home and just... You know, a lot of them have got children themselves. I just, I, I can't imagine what it's like for them. But yeah. we, we did receive a lot of support. Um, and we got the information. Um, it was just, it was just, you know, six days of fog. Yeah. It's the only way I can describe it. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's so good to hear that you feel very supported by your team. And yeah, I think that that's half the battle when you have clear communication from your 
whole team of oncologists and they you know continuously are communicating with you on what to expect or what's going to happen next whatever happens happens and just kind of knowing like okay what's the next right step to figure out you know how do we get back to where we need to be so what has been the most helpful to you or your family or to Alex during treatment I know that's a really big question but like off the top of your head like what has been either even from like early diagnosis what has been the most helpful and like now that you're transitioning back to working full-time so is is this from from people who support us or is it yeah in the hospital or anything yeah. I mean like I mentioned before about family we're, we're so lucky that we've got such supportive family um and friends as well you know we can we can call somebody up last minute and say we've got to go to the hospital can you sit with with max and it could be one o'clock two o'clock in the morning and they're like yeah yeah i'm there done and it's just one less thing to think of it definitely um makes you appreciate your family and your friends more you know family is important anyway but when something like this happens it affects everybody it's like a ripple effect you know it affects my parents mike's parents you know brothers siblings uncles aunties the the, the lot um so that's definitely the thing that i've been most grateful for the help the help from them and that's been from day one to to today and also to your credit of accepting the help yeah so i struggle i did struggle at the beginning i really did struggle and it's going back to that control element i thought um if I can't control what's happening to Alex, I'll control what else is happening within the house. So, you know, at, at the beginning, it'd be, um, do you want me to make some meals? Do you want me to do your washing for you? And I'd be like, no, 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 it's fine. It's okay. Um, but looking back on it now, I think the best thing I could have said to people who were offering help was don't offer, just come and do it. Yeah. Just turn up at my front door with you know when a few friends did that you know they'd make extra and they'd just turn up and say right here you go put this in the oven for 50 minutes blah 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 it's done and at that point it feels like a relief off your shoulders because it's one less thing to do yeah. but I don't feel like I failed because I didn't make it because I should be the one who's making it because I'm the mum I'm the person who's supposed to be looking after everybody but at that point I couldn't yeah because you're just in that fog yeah so yeah, that, that's one thing I'd say to people who have just been diagnosed, if, if, you know, family members, don't, don't offer to do it, just do it. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah, and I think the sooner that you feel comfortable with saying yes to help, the better. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's uncomfortable. It's, and even now sometimes, you know, I'm home with Ollie full time. So like, it's, it's, it's tricky, like, just asking someone like, hey, can you just drop this off at the dry cleaners? Like, I feel like, you know, by the way, like, are you going, are you already going? Yeah. Like, I don't yeah. want to make it inconvenient, but, you know, I have a rip in my jacket and my friend was like, of course, like, that's the least I can do. Like, <laughs> you know, but it does. It's hard to take that step though and just yeah. be like, okay, can you help me to do this? Yeah. And, and I feel like it definitely gets easier and, um, and people want to help, you know, they don't know what else to do. So if like you said like when people are just you know dropping stuff off I feel like it was really crazy when all I get diagnosed and now it's kind of like slowed down a little bit yeah yeah 
but you know that it will pick up again if you know for some reason Ollie or Alex are in hospital were admitted all those offers will come back again yeah and yeah. to have that support all the time is just it's um it's priceless really yeah. is. it definitely is yeah it's it's just been amazing like I have a gratitude journal that I write in every morning and okay. to be honest one of the things I write is I'm grateful for technology and connecting with yeah and that for me is definitely given just been really helpful not in terms of like making me alarmed or like extra anxious about things but more of like a community and connection with people Definitely. like you across the world that's it that, that's it you know you're not around the corner you're a long long way away yeah and it, it's nice it's comforting as well so yeah under better circumstances I wish I would have met you but I'm very I happy know. that I have I know and we will meet in person one day and our boys will meet in I know. well well yeah the plan is that once um once he's finished his treatments and he's had his immunizations and things like that and everything's okay um we'll be well we've said florida and then we've said we want to go to new york okay well so you're not i mean how 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 long was it is it a couple of hours from new york or is oh, it we'll, we'll meet you we'll meet you <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. um so yeah yeah. yeah no it's it's just been a pleasure and there have been a couple other moms um in the united states one in texas another one just like all over and it's it's been really nice to have that sense of community, to know that like, okay, our boys are in the same kind of bracket. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, one mom in California with a little girl, but they're all about the same age and, and all you guys are part of the all mama care community and you've reached yeah. out and, and it's just been nice. And, and also just to check on each other, like, hey, how's it going? I haven't really talked to you, you know? Um, and to hear the good things that are happening. Yeah. Especially at this point as well, because when you hit maintenance, it is so different to what it was like during, like we call it frontline over here. So it's from yep. day one to maintenance. It's such a change and you are adapting and it adjusting to another new normal. Mm -hmm. And it does feel a little bit alien and it's like, okay, let's try and get back to how we were. But to have people like you to hand and say, oh, was it like this for you as well? And you're like, yeah, 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 got it. Yeah, it definitely was you feel reassured that it's just natural. This is what's supposed to be happening. Yeah. Um, like we, we go to clinic um, every other Wednesday at the moment, following a blood test every other Monday. Um, so the first Wednesday of the month would be Ben Kristen. And our consultant was saying today that we don't need to do the other Wednesday. Now you can just come to clinic on a Wednesday once a month. Yeah. And even though it seems like the next natural step, it's still like, oh, well, what if, what if something happens? And they said, well, you, you just call us as you normally would. We call you that morning anyway to just give you a bit of a brief rundown of how we think he's doing. But you physically don't need to come into clinic unless there's anything that you need to see us about. Um, and it's like having that security blanket sort of taken away a little bit more. Yeah. That, that was a yeah. huge transition going from going every two weeks to clinic and then going monthly. Yeah. And, and that was really hard. And like, I experienced the same thing, just asking the team, like, well, how do we know? How do, how do I know if his platelets are low? How do I know if like his counts are really low? What about his neutrophils? Like we're mm -hmm. only going once a month. And they said the same thing to me, like, 
you're a smart lady. You're going <laughs> to watch your child. And if yeah. you all the things that are on that checklist on the fridge, mm -hmm. you call us immediately, you're 10 minutes away. And, it, and it's, it's a huge transition. And not only with all of that stuff, but also just like you had mentioned, allowing Alex to go back to school. How's that going? Yeah. Transition. I mean, we've, we've always been of the opinion, and his consultant was as well from, from the beginning, if Alex is well and the children in his class are well, he goes to school. Like, I think we were in, I can't even remember what the second, consolidation. Mm -hmm. We were at the back end of consolidation and he went back to school a couple of days and then all of a sudden even through delayed intensification we just thought he was going to be off for the whole time he was he was in you know he'd be coming home and the nurse would be waiting on the driveway to give him his um oh my goodness I've forgotten all the keys. it's a good thing that you're forgetting it's a good thing because you're moving past it the one yeah. that they have for like four days consecutively Air AC shot yeah that's it yeah so um yeah, we call it Cytarabin. Oh, here. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the nurse would be on the driveway waiting to give him his chemo. And I'd be like, oh, he's had a good day in school. He's fine. He's okay. Mm -hmm. um, and he's been in since. Like, his, his attendance has been, has been fine. Um, we had a That's school report great. recently from him. Um, and he's, he's doing really well. He's sort of as expected. Um, which was a big worry for me at the beginning. I thought, you know, he's not going to be able to go to school. He's going to miss out on so much. And touch wood, yep. he's, he's, he's okay. He's fine. So That's awesome. And just to yeah. have that, you know, to, I'm not, I don't want to speak for you, but I'm sure just to mm -hmm. see him with all of his friends and it's be lovely. part of the, the community it, yeah. at school. Yeah. And just yeah. being normal. It really is. I mean, when, after he was diagnosed, it was a couple of weeks after a couple of his friends had said to the parents, you know, he's going to lose his hair. Can we do something for him? Can we, can we shave our hair as well? And we were like, Oh, okay. Okay. All right then. And it sort of snowballed into this charity event where the school raised, I think it was, I think it was just under 5,000 pounds for the children's hospital. And I remember going in that day because they invited us to go and Alex wasn't feeling too well and I'm glad he didn't go because it would have been too overwhelming. Yeah. And you walked, you walked into this school hall and there's dads of the, the boys on one side and there's the boys on the other side and they're all getting their head shaved and all the, all the children in the school are sat on this parquet floor in front of them and they're all singing and dancing and it was... It was just nice. It was just a, a real community thing. I mean, I only stayed for 10 minutes. I was like, I, I, can't, I can't deal with this anymore. Thanks, yeah. everybody, but I've, I've got to go. It was too overwhelming. And I think at that point, I thought, he's poorly. Like, they wouldn't be doing something like this if he really wasn't poorly. So, yeah, we, we, we do feel very close to the school. And I think communication is key as well. I think if you're feeling anxious about sending your child back to school, make sure that you're in touch with them. Make sure that they know what they need to look out for and to call you in the first instance. Mm -hmm. um, you know, set up a meeting with with somebody from the hospital who can come to the meeting with the head teachers with you and things. And it's just that's, about communication. That's great, yeah, that's a great suggestion. So yeah. did, did you have like your social worker come or did you have a nurse? It was, it, it was a nurse. So it, it was a nurse from a charity called um, Macmillan, who we have over here. Um, 
so she came with us and we sort of sat there and it was good to listen to as well because we picked up little bits of information again Um, and it was an opportunity for three parties to just discuss what the care was going to be like at school because if he's going to be in school for six hours a day they need to be aware of what to do if he gets a temperature things like that Um, for example I was always obviously this may be different in different countries but I was always of the assumption that if he feels like he's got a temperature they take the temperature but when they're not to do that they're to call me and I'm to take the temperature okay so you know that that's probably going to be different but I wouldn't have known that unless it had been communicated yep so So, that's a great suggestion because obviously Ollie's not in school so it's wonderful that you're offering this advice and this perspective because I'm not sure you know I mean, I assume that if you request a social worker or a nurse to come in for that meeting with the parents, um, it definitely will help. And just being able to have like a protocol and figure out, you know, what everybody's all on the same page. And you feel comfortable then because you you feel comfortable leaving him and thinking, okay, they know what the drill is. They know what to look out for. He knows as well. You know, he knows his body. He knows when he's not feeling too well. And he will tell whoever's looking after him at that time. I'm also in a group with all the mums in the class as well. So if any of the child falls poorly over the weekend, for example, I get a message and they'd say, you know, such and such has been vomiting just to make you aware, just in case you need to know. Because that's important as well to know whether that environment is safe for him to go into. Because you don't want to send him in. And then receive a phone call 10 minutes later to say, oh, a child's been sick. Right. So it sounds to me like it's kind of a day-by-day, delicate dance. Just continue to keep open communication. Yeah. And it's wonderful that you can chat with all those moms directly and not have to guess, you know, yeah. if someone really is sick or not. Because- yeah, but they understand as well. They understand what, how important it is that he's not in an environment with children who are sick, which, which is good. Good. Well, it sounds like Alex is just doing the best that he can. And I'm just, I just, I don't know. I'm just like speechless because I'm not in that whole mindset of, you know, Ollie's not in school. And, and I just can't imagine like sending him to school. And, (laughs) but it, but when I get there, you know, because Ollie will be in kindergarten when he is finishing treatment and that's going to, and then that's when I'm going to reach out to you and be like, Hey, Michelle, tell me again. I'm going to listen to this podcast again because every child is so different. And also every age that they got diagnosed is different and every protocol. And, and, and so just having you share your story is going to help me when Ollie gets there and I just want to commend you so much for sharing, you know, your story and Alex's story and continuing to just do everything that you can to make sure that your family is still experiencing life and not scared to live because it's very easy, even with this whole coronavirus thing, it's very easy to start, you know, a downward spiral and say, well, I'm just not going to leave the house for three months. You know, and even in our whole mom network, we're kind of all joking now, like, welcome to the club, that we all have to wipe everything down, wash our hands all the time. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's, I have to laugh at that, because it's like, this is my whole life. Like, this yeah, is, this, this is what we do now. What it's, we do. Yeah. 
I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. There's days when I'd probably say averaging once a month, I'd say I can feel the signs and I know that I'm going to be in that foggy kind of mind space for for a couple of days, two or three days, and then you can feel it peak and then it just gradually sort of drifts off and then it's fine. It's okay. And I know that I've got to get it out of my system and I know that it's normal. Um, and I have to reassure like my husband and my mum because they're like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I just need to just get out of this. I'll go to the gym. I'll go for a walk. Um, just get it out. And then it's fine then. Everything's back to normal. Yeah. That's great that you can kind of feel the anxiety or the tension or whatever these off emotions are. And then you can yeah. feel them coming on and you're working out, you're, you're taking care of you so that you can be a better mom. And, and sometimes that's really hard just to identify what emotion you're feeling. That was really hard for me to identify like, oh, this is anxiety or this is sadness. We got back from, from that holiday on the Friday and I'd probably say the Sunday afternoon, it started to kick in. And I don't know whether it was just a bit of a combination of being on holiday, doing something normal and then coming back home and knowing that we've got a busy week this week at clinic and you're just reminded he's got cancer. Yeah. And then you just feel yourself just sort of snowballing a little bit and you kind of want to box yourself off and, my husband is really, really good at prompting me to talk. Like he'll, from from the beginning when he was first diagnosed, each evening we'd make the effort to sit down once the kid's gone to bed and we'd say, "We're well, okay, how's your day been? Is there anything you want to talk about? And that probably went on for, I'd say about, until maybe frontline, I think. But then we do still feel comfortable prompting each other and saying, how are you feeling at the moment? You know, is there anything that you're worried about? Um, because that's important as well to keep that relationship going, but also to support each other. Yeah. And I know that we have some dads listening too, and Ryan's popped on the podcast a couple times. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's just wonderful to hear that you and your husband are, are open with each other and continually asking each other because let's face it, it's work, right? You're exhausted. <laughs> like the last thing yes. you want to do is like unpack <laughs> some like, go into it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But at the same time, I felt and it, and you know, you can tell me, but just doing those little check ins with each other kind of helps to just nip something in the bud versus yeah. letting it snowball for like a week and then a big blow up. Well, that's what it was like in the early days. We'd we'd sit down and if something had triggered me that day, I'd talk about it and once I'd start talking about it, you couldn't stop me. <laughs> Like it was just, everything just came out, but then it was boxed off then. It was pushed to one side and you could just carry on with your evening. Personally, I do need prompting to talk, but then once I've got the opportunity, it's like, it just all comes out, but then it's done. Do you feel like Mike is like you where he just wants a lot of information or is he more like Ryan where he's like, I'm going to take the info as it comes? Um, a bit of both really. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd say, I'd say a bit of both. He's not a, he's not a control freak like I am. Mm -hmm. I think, um, for me to be in possession of that information is the important thing to me. Whereas Mike's quite happy knowing what needs to be known. Right. And he trusts you to relate information. Yeah. Yeah. Because he went back to work quite quickly. Um, he probably had about six or seven weeks off and then went back to work. So it was myself going to the clinic appointments. Um, he still comes when Alex has his lumbar puncture, so when he has his methotrexate intrathecally. But other than that, it's myself 
because I'm self-employed and I, I took a, a year off work so I was able to go to the routine appointments and the chemo and things. How did you decide to go back to work and how did you actually transition? So so I'm um, I'm a wedding florist so it works really well around the children because you get to pick and choose which jobs you take on. So as of April last year I'd done maybe like nine or ten weddings and I had 25 left for that year and I had to cancel them there was no there was no option for me work is very much my escapism before Alex was diagnosed it was like you know the kids have gone to school Mike's gone to work I'm going to go and do my own thing and I built this business up for three years and last year was probably going to be the best year yet it was it was really really good but I had no choice had no option so decided to take the year off I was still sort of there in the background a little bit. Um, the problem with owning your own business is you don't want people to forget about you. So I'd still be sharing content as and when it was appropriate. And, you know, a lot of people will be asking about Alex as well. So I was still present. Um, and I had bookings for this year anyway. I had nine or ten bookings. And I thought, do I cancel them or do I keep them? And I thought, well, he's in maintenance. Like, it's fine. It's okay. I don't want to be sat at home waiting for him right. to finish school. If he's in school, then I can go back to work as long as I've got plan B. So like, for example, each wedding that I've got this year, um, all of my clients are aware of this. I've arranged for backup florists who can awesome. literally just take the job off me. Mm. Um, I've refitted the studio as well while I've had a bit of time off before the wedding season starts. So I'm ready and raring to just get back into it um it's a distraction for me it really is a distraction so I've got my first wedding in a couple of weeks um and they run until the end of October and I can't wait it's just nice to hear from you that you feel comfortable going back to work because I know a lot of parents sometimes they're just forced right back to work and they don't have a choice yeah I know well, well that's it I, I, I do I suppose I mean there's days where you know, you know, you hear about mum guilt, like before Alex was diagnosed, that mum guilt was there. It was like, oh, no, I should just be at home with the kids. And stuff. Now it's like mum guilt times a thousand. But you just have to think, I need to have my time as well. And if he's in school and everybody else is in nursery, everybody else is in work, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. That's a really great way to think about it. If if Alex is doing his normal stuff, going to school, then I can do my normal work stuff. Yeah, that's I. But I, I, but I know that if if I'd be at home waiting for everybody to come home, it would affect me. It, it would affect me because there's the social aspects of being at work. You know, being self-employed, working on your own is hard anyway. But when when you're with other people, it's so much more easier. Um. And I just, I just couldn't imagine just being at home because I, I would, I would go downhill then, definitely. Wow, what a wonderful transformation from last. It's almost April, so last April until this April coming up, you and your family have just gone through so much. <laughs> and I know, it, God. Yeah, isn't it's just crazy? Wow, we went through hell and back, and. Now you're relaunching your business, and if you if people want to check you out on Instagram, can you? <laughs> what's your Instagram handle or Facebook handle? So it's um it's Michelle Anne Floristry. So it's Anne with an E, um, and I'm based based in England. Mm -hmm. So 
She does yeah. amazing, amazing floral arrangements. Oh, thank and, you. And I just want to thank you so much, Michelle, for coming on. And thank just you for having me. Yeah, just sharing your story. And I'm just really looking forward to the day that we get to meet in person yes. and our, our kids can meet in person. So. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode. If something from this stuck with you, I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to message me on Instagram or on Facebook and tell me what you thought. Join the private All Mama Care Facebook group to connect with me directly and other listeners across the globe. You can even send me a voicemail. Simply go to anchor.fm backslash time backslash message. Wherever you're listening to this, take a screenshot tag me and a couple friends. You never know, it might be exactly what someone needs to hear today. The light within me honors the light within you.